0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at AdventBirmingham.org. Our Father in Heaven, we give thanks that we can gather uh, again uh, to reflect on your word, to reflect on the wisdom it allows us uh, and, and and to prepare for the week ahead with all of our our, our our all the things facing us ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, while we wait on this, apparently I know it really is no point is there, yeah um did we did yeah, can you go find
1: somebody, please?
0: Yeah, I mean, somebody's got to do something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Watch him unplug something. Oh, it's I got to do. Flip this This is where you're so embarrassed you ever earned a PhD. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Yes, I uh, I am a college professor. Thank you. <laughs> and I panicked. I'm just I don't know what to do. I'm just going to stand here until something until something happens. Um, well, anyway, welcome uh, to the comfortable room. And uh, I hope I hope we can remain semi comfortable. the the the, ti- the title of this series is Christian Identity and Identity Politics, and I tried to do a little prelude last week as to why we ended up here, because for me, it just it's not quite natural to come to church and talk about these things. I come to church to not talk about these things, uh, to try not to think about them, um, and to heal a little bit. But, you know, just talking with the staff and, 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 and Gil and other leaders here, we, we can't escape it. Uh, it's here. It's the environment we... We live in, it is distressing, it is confusing, numbing. Um, and it it demands attention if we believe that the, uh, the 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 Christian message has something to say to our identities. It demand and politics, I suppose. it demands attention. so that's why we're giving attention to it. We went over some preliminaries last week, some definitions. I won't do that again. But the issue is, of course, uh, what, what I pointed out just in summary last week is: politics has always been about managing differences. Always, okay? It, there's never been a moment in the in the history of political life where everyone said we're agree we're in agreement. Uh, that, that's the whole point is that we're not. And that's the true in the pre-modern world as well as the modern world the the difference being most most of those distinctions were class and economic related leading up into the modern world that most devices that were used to regulate politics like these were tied to religion and class and economics right they were they were they were uh, they were intended to moderate and regulate those things what's happened thanks Lauren what's happened in uh, probably the last half century as we've seen the sort of explosion of the post-World War II uh, American moment American Pax Americana right we we have seen these these grow into other types of identity matters: race, gender, sexuality, and ethnicity. And so far, no code has been broken here. We all know that this is what's going on. And there, there are various graphs I have here that that can help us explore that that this sort of pr- proliferation of identity upon identity upon identity. And then, of course, the question then becomes: if politics is about the moderation and regulation of differences. What does this mean with this proliferation? Right? Um, and there, there, there are lots of ways to get at it, but what we're trying to do here is think theologically and, and biblically about it first, if, if we're able. And then, of course, all these identities, that's a nice circle, but then there's messier circles <laughs> like that where th- this overlap becomes what's called intersectionality. Okay? And uh, the, the point being that you cannot talk about the common good, you cannot talk about um, the political good without talking about identity first. This is a change. This is different in some sense. And it's something we need to wrestle with because, well, we'll see in just a moment. Okay, that's sort of the background. Then I left this with, I think there are three governing questions that frame the historical problem. And uh, is politics natural to the human condition? Is it a necessary or divinely sanctioned activity given the fall? Or is it unnatural to the human condition? And I put the nice pictures of all the people who have thought about these things a lot around there. Um, Those are the profound sort of governing questions. Is politics, is it natural for us to come together in community and decide how and deliberate how to live together. Well, that that's the guys up here. That's Plato, Aristotle. That's the ancient world. Ancient world said yes. That's what what we have to do. And how do you do that? Well, you do it by cultivating virtue and habit, and you, you train the right people, and then they go to the right schools, like you know Plato's Academy or whatever, and then they become the leaders. And that's had a long tradition in the West. Still does. What about this middle one? Is it a necessary and divinely sanctioned activity given the fall? We're going to tease this out more today. This is going to be our theme today. And, and the answer there is yes as well, if you're starting from certain theological propositions. That there, there's no, because there's no way to escape that, that ultimately we have to measure politics against the divine will. And that too has a long trajectory in the West, as we'll see momentarily. Then we have this last one. Politics is unnatural. To the human condition. We are, life is short, brutish, and nasty, what Thomas Hobbes said. We're in constant, we really are just greedy, selfish little creatures bumping into each other for power, money, sex, etc. And when I teach students that I usually get a lot of nods here, like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, uh, okay, well, fair. Um, th- there's something to it, I mean, but that unnatural phrase is important because what it means is, uh, we have to think of politics independent of theology or philosophy. We, we look at politics really as just a mechanism of social control. And lots of modern politics does that. We, we th- politics is a device, it's a contract between our rights and living together politely with everybody else. That's a very modern idea. It's a very modern idea. So I want you to keep those in mind as we, as we frame this. Because, and we'll return to this next week, I hope, where, I I think that last point, this unnaturalness, that has led to so much of what we put, sort of our regulatory devices in place, like constitutions, that last point has really led, it's the fertile ground out of which identity politics is born. Okay? And the chief engineer uh, in, in terms of intellectual history, um, and I, again, I, thank you for coming to church to talk about Karl Marx. Um, that is Karl Marx, right? Uh, that's a nice picture of him um, with his beard, looking all Karl Marx-y, and, uh, and what does he say? He, Karl Marx, uh, he, he, say, he he's the architect, he's a brilliant architect, I don't mean to make light, he's a brilliant architect, that the the, the beginning of all identity is social and political. He seizes this modern moment of the unnaturalness of it, and he says, yeah, that's right. And now we're going to take it. Whoever the we're is, we are, right? So I keep all that in mind, because that's sort of the governing framework of all this. And, And this leads us where we ended last week to a couple of questions. If we had Carl with us or others, we might say, well, wait a minute. As, as a Christian, is there something different? Is there something in our nature that is pre-political and pre-social? Am I something other than a composite of my economic and social interest? Right? I think that's what I'm try, trying to ask. And if so, what is it? Does it matter if it is? These questions tend to be rhetorical in Sunday school because we say, "Well, you know, of course there is, right?" But, but that, that's not good enough. We have to wrestle with it. I think a little, with a little more integrity than that. What is this pre-political or pre-social thing we're talking about? Because frankly, that's the theological, biblical, theological answer. What, whatever that thing is, is the response that we start with to identity politics, and whatever it's. Post-Marxist iterations are. Does that make sense? Pause for clarification. I feed on nods. I mean, uh, I'm scared. All right. Okay. All right. So let's let let's let's press forward then. I, I'm going to say there is a great theological answer. And I, I no bombshells here. There is a great theological, and our nature is created. And our identities are fundamentally spiritual. When we are a f- people of faith, when we're creatures of faith, uh, when we're p- transformed creatures of faith, we cannot, no matter how hard we try, reduce ourselves to purely material interest. I want to be careful what I'm saying. I am not saying material interest doesn't motivate us. It does. I have to eat, I have to get dressed, I have to put children in school, etc material interest motivates us but no matter where we are on that socioeconomic spectrum and we know it's varied material interest isn't our is the final word on our nature creation is that mysterious nebulous moment <laughs> that we we wrestle with through metaphor and images of snakes and apples and 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 that God just gives us in in very simple language because we're so reticent to understand, probably can't understand. But our identities are fundamentally spiritual. Genesis one, make man. He says, God says, let's make mankind in our image. Of course, the our, our there being a, a, a great debate. Is he talking to the, uh, the the Trinity? Is it a Trinitarian moment, or is it the in- angels? <sighs> Probably the Trinity and our likeness and then so they may have dominion. So God creates humans in his own image and the image of God, he creates them, male and female. That is an article of faith. That is an article of faith. Nobody was there. I mean, we don't have a record except what the Bible gives us. And we take that as a start. I think as Christians, that's our starting point for this question of identity and politics. But then, to get, at what, to get to a real biblical theology, you can't leave it there. You can't leave it there. We have to take it in, in tandem with the fall. We were uh, There's the, the, the story of the curse uh, that comes with this. My goodness, this is a whole series of Sunday school lessons and, and teaching in and of itself. Uh, I mean, in some ways, it, it's the reason we get up every Sunday and come here. It's because we know this is a reality, because God made us... To understand this. But this curse comes with this mysterious word. We were made out of the ground. You will return to it when you die. You are dust and you will return to dust. Whatever the curse is, we're terminal. And we weren't made to be terminal. At some point, our will and our spirit and our intellect and our physicality were in a harmony that they no longer are in. They were in a harmony. Will, spirit, intellect, and bodies worshiped God perfectly in the created order? And we don't now. The other side of that. And the result of that is death. And that's one thing regardless of socioeconomic and material interests. It's guaranteed. And for a believer, I think that's the starting point of identity and politics along with many other things, right? So that that's that so let's talk about this in light of in light of the fall, in light of two things, the created order and the fall. If if that's our launching point, wh- where are we? Well, we're in a world that's really messed up. and it's been messed up. We live in an imperfect world with a huge imbalance of wealth and power um, and justice. We all do, regardless of where we live, regardless of what time period we live in. This imbalance is real. And it means that the way we live together matters, somehow, okay? The way we live together matters. These, you know, these images are just evocative of, they're pretty extreme, but we could drive around our own city. Uh, we could drive around the state into rural parts of the, of the state in the south, the northeast. I, I lived up north. I mean, this is not, you can travel. You know, when we travel, we tend to go to the nice tourist places. There's a reason we don't head to the suburbs sub, the, the of Rome, you know, and take pictures. And, and we know this inequity, of course, dramatically in our own uh, material reality. Very few of us could say that we have a personal relationship with the people who made the clothes that are on our backs today. You know, in Guatemala or Vietnam or where they're, well, yeah, I know her. She's great. We don't. I mean, we are in this market system of collision and inequities. That's not a secret, right? And yet, what, what do we also know? As Christians, we know God cares about these things. We know God cares about these things. Um, the Book of Job, maybe the old one, the oldest text we have in the Bible, is it's pretty old. Um, you know, Job, the, the suffering of Job is about justice. It's about inequity, injustice. The poor have hope. How, where does our hope come from? And and you can read these. Um, the Proverbs, the wisdom literature, right, is saturated. The law, the Deuteronomic law itself, all has references to this problem of injustice and inequity. And the heart of God is such that it matters somehow, okay? The heart of God is that it matters. And as a Christian, under authority, under the authority of the Word and the church, I can't just say it doesn't matter, you know, irregardless It's there, and that's important. We want to hang that in the in the air for a minute because this this is important that we know it's there. But we, what do we also know from the scripture? We also know that God just He not only gave the law as he, as uh, as uh, the Israelites came out of Egypt. We also know that in terms of political identity. The Israelites themselves wanted more. They wanted more than the law. They wanted more than knowing the heart of God. What did they want in Samuel? They wanted a king. Right? The next sort of element in our biblical theology here. The the Israelites go to Samuel. Give us a king to lead us. Remember they had come out of the era of the judges. And uh, uh, this displeased Samuel. Uh, And the Lord says, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. They rejected me as their king. And they've done so from the day I brought them out of Egypt. So listen to them. Listen to them and warn them about what a king will claim. So the next sort of picture to our mystery of politics and theology is this appeal for a sovereign that is not the sovereign presence of Yahweh amongst the people is the is phys- the idea of physical kingship. We know that Israel of course gets their king and we know they have a good king to start out with. Keep reading. <laughs> and it's not, it's not it's not so pretty uh, how it begins to unfold. Israel, in the economy of theology, in the economy of Christian theology, Israel has this special role. It has this, historical Israel has this role of helping us understand the heart of God, the mind of God, right? When it comes to uh, what we say when we say we believe that politics is real or something we should care about. And of course, about the same time Israel is getting their king, You've got the the, the Bronze Age starting to collapse in other parts of the world, and this strange little culture called Greece is starting to pop up with their own ideas of what politics is going to look like. And so we do have these extra-biblical things we have to consider if we're going to talk about politics. But for our purposes here for the moment, in terms of theology, we've got the law, we've got the heart of God for the poor, then injustice, and then we have this appeal for a king. Well, what about Christianity? What about Christianity? I'm going to make a pretty bold claim, and I'm going to try to tease it out with what's left here. Christianity never fits neatly into a political or social vision for the simple reason it does not have a clear mandate for the political and the social. Uh, I I realize I'm, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, and... Uh, with with some people's sensitivities. But I'm going to try to tease this out in light of what we've just said. The fall, the creation, the fall, the law, the heart of God, Israel, and then Christ. Christ. Uh, Because on on Christian theology, all the things we're describing are bringing us to Christ, both historically and redemptively, but also now, existentially, right? Right? And what I'm not saying, and what I'm going to do a lot of what I'm not saying in just a moment, but I I wanted to start with the most controversial thing I think I could say, which is this. And then I want to try to press it into what we're not saying here. Okay? But just text, just in terms of the text alone, just in terms of what Scripture affords us, we know that there are very clear words in Scripture that do not allow for us to politically manipulate it where we want it whether what no matter where you are on the political spectrum it's simply because it is the word of god and because its purposes are different does not allow us to manipulate it or, or arrange it in such a way that we win right and mark the words of christ and and mark about the coin to caesar you know we learn it as children it's a great image um, and, and if you ever get a chance to see these Roman coins, it's, it just brings it home even more when you actually see the images on there, you know. And, and, and Jesus says, whose image is this on this coin? You know, the, they're, the Herodians and the Pharisees are asking him, you know, uh, about this in light of Israel's history, in light of Roman conquest. And he says, this is Caesar's image, right? Well, give it back to Caesar then. Um, You'd spend the rest of the time talking about this, but it's a good indication that whatever Jesus meant, he did not mean for what he was talking about to be collapsed with the order, the, the Roman order of the day. How about this? My kingdom is not John 18. My kingdom is not of this world. If, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. This is Christ before Pilate uh, after the arrest. Um, but my kingdom is from another place. I just I can't imagine standing there hearing this as a pagan Roman, which I probably would have been. Um, you know, uh, you are a king, then says Pilate. Right? You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Checkmate. Uh, okay. And no wonder Pilate went and washed his hands. <laughs> well, what to do with that? I mean, the truth. Uh, and then quies uh, veritas?" is what Pilate replies, probably in Latin. You know, what is truth? What is truth? Crazy Jew. I'm here. I'm here to talk about the truth. I'm not here to talk about a king. Uh, my kingdom. This. We're not even talking the same language, Pilate. You don't even understand. You don't get it. Um, I'm here about something else. I'm about other business. We have the words of Christ that give us this, this Christian distinction. Famous passage from Romans 13, right? I'm, I'm, I'm playing leapfrog here through Scripture, but to make the point, uh, here's Paul's words um, that, you know, we're, we're subject to authority. Rome, he's writing to the Romans. He's not in Romans. He's, he's writing to the Romans. Apparently, you know, there's some question marks still about what this relationship between Christianity and politics. And Paul saying, you're under authority. The authorities are given by God, okay? Um, well, what do I do, can I go to a chariot race, Paul? I, you know, Paul doesn't tell us whether we can go to the chariot races or not. What he says is, we're under authority. Um, okay, so there's, a, there's three passages we can reference that give us a pretty good indication that whatever we're talking about as Christians is politics. If we follow the pattern of our Lord and we follow the pattern of the Apostle, we're not talking about the same thing that... Um, uh, we're, we're not talking a political form. We're not talking about whether it's Roman or Greek or, or Russian. You know, we're not talking a political form. I don't know why I said Russian. But, you know, I don't want anybody to panic. I didn't mean. That. <laughs> what did he see in the Bible? Not, nothing. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. But then the, the corollary, of course, to, to politics is citizenship. And this is another place Scripture speaks to us, not just in terms of what this ultimate power is and the ultimate ends of it are, but citizenship itself. Paul tells us in Philippians, Let's just read it. For as I have often told you before and now, and, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship, Palatuma, Palatuma, is in heaven. Uh, uh, as we eager, and we eagerly await our Savior from there. That, that, is, that is one of the most radical statements I think you can read in scripture, if you just really chew on it. Because the implications are manifold. This politum, this word, uh, polis, you can see the word polis, P-O-L-I, polis, city, is in there. It means citizenship. It's used in Marcus Aurelius. It's used in Augustine. It's used in Justin Martyr. It's used in Plato. Paul is seizing upon an ancient concept of belonging and, and public life. Not family life, but something different. Something that is a public thing. And he's saying this very public thing is ours eschatologically. It's a heavenly thing for us. And then he just gets quiet. He's like, come on, we need more. We need more, Paul! You know." But enough has been said. Um, we get another use of this word in Ephesians. For through him... We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. This is sum politai. Paul, I just, that, that, the Greek, paula, poly, with God's people and members of his household. My point being, because I always, you know, I was, why am I throwing Greek up here? The point being is Paul is using a vocabulary of, that would, in a vernacular of citizenship that is common but he's taking the commonness of this and he's transferring it into this eschatological reality of what it means to be a citizen of two worlds. You live under the law here, but you actually belong to a different commonwealth. You belong to a different way of being. Okay. So we're dual citizens. We, we, again, two steps back. Our framework is as Christians, how do we think about politics? Well, if we take our passages from Christ and we take our passages from Paul, whatever we're saying about politics, it's operating at two levels. There's the here and now, and there's the hope and glory to come that has already been inaugurated here and now. The way of the cross. We got a little bit of a late start, so I'm just going to keep... I, I want to ask, leave, try to leave time for questions. But if not, you have to come back next week. And so uh, i got to keep my numbers up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's take these two statements. Politics is concerned with questions of justice and citizenship. Christianity prescribes questions of justice and citizenship according to heavenly approximations. Chew on that for a second, because basically it's an attempt to summarize what we just looked at. That whatever we're saying about justice and citizenship, which clearly has some measure of the heart of God involved, right? Whatever it is, and however we're participating in it, it's always measured according to a heavenly approximation now our good friend Karl Marx might p- bounce in the room and say aha see I got you that's exactly what I've been trying to say about identity and politics is that you're, you're fouling the ball off you're passing the buck you're 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 delivering the opiate right there right <laughs> uh, to the masses and so they can't see their real condition uh, well no No, because this is our real condition, according to Christianity. Not it's not a foul off of anything. This is all of our condition. And and I'll say more about that. Because here's what I would I want to urge. Even if you're not a believer, even if you're not a Christian, this is still reality. Justice is still approximate because God is true. I have come to teach the truth, to preach the truth. My kingdom is not of this world. I don't care where you fit in the spectrum. That's the starting point for reality. The spectrum of politics. What are we not saying here? What am I not saying here? I'm not saying that Christians, this is not to say, this is not to say (laughs) Christians have no rational sense of justice and citizenship, that you can't reason with people that don't start from creation, fall, and redemption. That's not what we're saying. Or that we cannot borrow and adapt to the secular order. We're not saying that. Or that you cannot aspire to bring order, justice, and mercy to the world, trusting that God is a God of order, justice, and mercy. There's, no, there's nothing in any of this attempt to understand us theologically to say that that's not possible. Okay, But it is to say that whatever that is, whatever circumstances we're born into, a democratic republic in our case, it's always deficient in light of eternal truth. And that is an error, not just of identity politics as it manifests on the left, but identity politics as it manifests on the right in our history. That is the error, is that somehow we have overcome the deficiency and become that approximation here on earth that's idolatry we're, we're, we're back to the problem of samuel of trying to replace something that's not ours with the mechanisms that we believe work and that word mechanism is exactly it um the problem or the assertion that i'm trying to make here about deficiency it's not that order justice and mercy going back to our problems of poverty and injustice and citizenship and Wealth and inequality. So it's not that they don't matter. It's just that Scripture doesn't give us the perfect mechanism. It doesn't tell us, yes, yes, and this is why you need an emperor, or yes, yes, this is why you need a parliament, right? Or, or yes, yes, this is why you need an Athenian democracy. Christians don't have a clear have a clear political mandate or mechanism. That's the problem. And, and I want to pause here, because see, here's, what I want, here's, here's where I really want to try to drive this home. What I'm trying to say is, is that we live, because we live between the times, because we have to live with this sort of post-fall attempt to bring order to disorder with various people, all these, this, this, this here, and this is where I really want to drive home, these mandates from the wisdom literature about God's heart, they don't change because you live under a socialist political order or a democracy. The political order, if you take, for example, and say we've got the right way to do it, this still stands. God doesn't change. You're never going to line it up. And that's the sort of sobering Sobering reality of this is that no matter how approximate we think we can get, the heart of God continues to reveal how short we are. So I am not. Well, I guess what I'm trying to be careful of here is I'm not suggesting, if, you, if, you, if you're of a type, you say, well, I really want to make a difference. I, I want it to matter. Well, good, because God says it matters. But how we bind each other according to that is not revealed to us. Because our binding is in Christ first, the binding is in is in His kingdom first. Um, quickly, we we get this from Peter. He refers to us as foreigners and exiles. Peter calls us foreigners and exiles. Um, and then, of course, every one of these passages orients us back to the problem of your identity is fundamentally spiritual. So when we talk, when we're using this language, the primary theological concern is your spiritual concern. I'll close with this. Um, the, the greatest voice of antiquity, the greatest Christian voice of antiquity, who, who brings us to, 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 to its sort of stunning summary is Saint Augustine. Augustine, who's living at the very... I mean, he, he dies as Carthage is being invaded. He lives at the end of the Roman Imperium. Um, and, he, it, and as pagans... The, the pagan world goes crazy, uh, of course, because Rome has fallen. And a very obvious reason why Rome has fallen is because 100 years ago, Rome, under Constantine, decided to go all Christian on everybody. And Christians are weenies. They, they don't know how to fight. Rome knew how to fight. <laughs> So it's very obvious who to blame here. <laughs> and Augustine takes on, he takes it on. He says, really? You think it's Christianity that brought us down? And the city of God, this massive tome is an attempt to answer that, that question of politics and theology. In book 19, though, uh, uh, which you'll thank me if you see the book. It's big. <laughs> and he says, So I, I've got it distilled down to what we need here, I think. Um, Miserable, therefore, is the people which is alienated from God. Yet even this people has a peace of its own which is not to be lightly esteemed. Even the Romans, even the Carthaginians, even the Germans. (laughs) They shall not in the end enjoy it because they make no good use of it before the end. The eschatological world, the world to come, is not in view. But our interest is that they enjoy this peace meanwhile in this life. It is an interest of every Christian that we maintain peace with the secular order around us, regardless of what it is. For as long as the two cities are commingled, we enjoy the peace of Babylon. It's a magnificent interpretation, I think, of what I've been trying to suggest here about political theology. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.